Welcome to the Inspiring Word Broadcast Ministry. We hope this selection will establish or encourage your walk with the Lord. Please direct any comments or questions to me, Dr. Terry Cheek, using the links on our webpage. Thank you, and on to your selection. Again, in John's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whosoever, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was. But the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of the miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifest forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. We can explore this from a lot of different angles. A lot of times we will look at it from the marriage feast and there's something to be learned from that because the Jews did have a very long marriage feast. It lasted about a week. There would be a one year, what they call a betrothal, an engagement. It was mandatory. It had to last for a year. But inside of that year, the bride and groom could not consummate their marriage. They had to live apart from one another, but they had to remain faithful to one another. They had all of the responsibilities of being married without the, uh, without the intimacy or the the single household of being married. Then at the end of the year, at the end of the betrothal, there was a one-week celebration that would take place. And it would be at both the uh, bridegroom's family and the bride's family. And it would move from one to the other. And as it would wind up at the bride's family at the end, then the bridegroom would have all of the wine and all of the food and everything brought to their house and that's where the festivities would end and that's where then the marriage ceremony would finalize right there and then they would leave and they would go into their own home wherever that may be. So it was a very big ordeal. And here Mary, the mother of Jesus and the disciples and even Jesus were there and they were being a part of it. They were watching. But they had no wine. It didn't say that they ran out of wine. They had no wine. So when all of that took place, Mary then asked Jesus to do something about it. 
Well, Jesus' remark was, it's not my time yet, but Mary, when whatever happened there, Jesus went ahead and he granted Mary's, his mother's request. And the disciples were there with him and, and she told everybody there, whatever he asked you to do, do it. So Jesus told them to fill up the water barrels and those were water barrels that were used by the priest for the ceremonies of the temple and the rituals of the temple. They were empty. Jesus asked them to fill it up. Then he just simply told them to draw out of the barrel and it was wine. So there was the miracle. The miracle of turning water into wine. And it was for the purpose of the wedding ceremony and the wedding feast there. So when we think about those miracles, we have to ask the question, what is a miracle? What is it? A miracle is anything that God does which man cannot do on his own. Now man could make that wine, but it took a process. The, the grapes had to be crushed. They had to be strained. They had to be bottled or had to be put into the wine skins. And it had to be left to ferment. A very long process. But God, in a matter of seconds, accomplished this. Something man couldn't do. In Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17, the prophet Jeremiah says, Our Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by the great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. In that same chapter, in verse 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? God asked the question to the prophet. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, For with God nothing shall be impossible. The very beginning of our Bible in Genesis chapter 8, verse 14, 18, chapter 18, verse 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. That was God talking to Abraham about the promised child in their older years, in their later years. Another miracle. There are many examples of miracles in the Bible. For instance, raising Lazarus from the dead, raising the soldier's daughter from the dead, healing the demon possessed, the woman at the well, and Jesus telling her of everything that had went on in her life. And people wonder today, though, where are the miracles? We ask ourselves today, are there still miracles? Does God still grant miracles today? And I, 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 amen. I want to show. I want to assure you this morning. God does still grant miracles today. He certainly does. I have seen it in the, in our own family. Our oldest daughter, first grandchild came. He was premature. He spent weeks in mission hospital in the NICU. Not long after his birth. The doctors were having problems. They couldn't get him to eat. He didn't have enough strength to eat. 
just as soon as he would go to the bottle, he would he would draw from the bottle just just a couple just just a couple of sucks from the bottle, and then he would go to sleep. He would be exhausted. He couldn't go no more. And they gave him the medicine. They done. They worked with him and worked with him and worked with him. They were feeding him through a tube and. They were taking that tube out and trying to get him to take, and finally they called, they called the parents together, and they said, "We've done everything we can do except one thing. There's one thing left we can do to try to save him and get him to where he can eat on his own, and that is to give him a blood transfusion. But we need your permission to do that." So they talked about it and they signed the paperwork and they took this little infant that was two or three pounds and literally he was so small I put him in the palm of my hand when I would go to visit him. I would put his little behind in the palm of my hand and I would support his head with my fingertips and his feet would barely hang past onto my wrist. So they took him and they gave him a blood transfusion. And in a matter of one hour, he was drinking a bottle on his own. That was a miracle. Not only was that a miracle of how God can move in medicine, it also shows the power of the blood. The power of blood. Now if the blood of humans can have that much power to give that kind of a miracle wrought by God in the life of a person, what does the power of the blood of Jesus have upon the souls of mankind? Yes, there are miracles today. For that matter, in Second Corinthians 5 verse 12, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Every time someone is saved, it is a miracle. There is a miracle that has taken place, a supernatural miracle in the life of that person. A supernatural miracle in the heavens. There is celebration in heaven for every time a sinner comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior because of that miracle. And I want you to know this morning that every answered prayer is a miracle. The prayers that you have today, they will go up to God and God will answer them in one of three ways. God will answer them as in yes. He will answer them as in no or He will answer them as not now. God will never say maybe. God will give you one of those three. And if God says yes, it's because what's the way something is being asked and what's being asked for is within His will. If He says no, it's because it's not within His will at this time. And if He says, if He says not now, it's a matter that God is still working things out. He's still working things out in the lives of others or in your life. There's something there that God has got to work on and work out yet. Every victory in our life and in the lives of others and in the world in general is a miracle. 
But do you know that there are conditions to miracles as well? So then the natural question comes, what are those conditions? What is it that goes on in the background that I need to know about for these miracles in my life and in the life of my children and in the lives of my family? And I believe our text this morning gives the answer. I believe it provides those conditions. I believe it provides those situations and things that we need to know to help us meet God's expectation of a miracle. So we need to ask ourselves six questions this morning. For verses 1 and 2, I want us to see the question, Is God pleased with me? Jesus, by his attendance, showed approval on the wedding. If Jesus did not approve of that wedding, Jesus would not have been there. Just by him showing up, he gave his approval. So, how is pleasing God accomplished? How do we please him? First, we need to be saved. We need to be saved. We need to know him as 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 our Father through Jesus Christ. We often take that and, and we take it very tongue-in-cheek as a matter of fact and we kind of look over it and move on. But do you realize that in the state of North Carolina it has been determined by polls and questions and things of that nature by the Baptist State Convention and some of the things that they've went out and done that there's about 80% of North Carolina that's unchurched. Eight out of every ten people that we meet aren't going to church. Now they may be saved and for whatever reason not going or they may be unsaved. But in either case, they're not they're not growing in their relationship with God in whatever the circumstance. Salvation is something that's important. Salvation is something that needs to be talked about today. Salvation is something that needs to be shared. And if God is going to be pleased in the life of the Christian, then salvation must be something that they not only experience in their own life, but it is something that they share with others. You may not lead anyone to Christ, and it's not our job to save anyone. It is not the Christian's job to save anyone. It's the Christian's job to present them to Christ so that Christ can bring them into salvation. So the Holy Spirit can do His work. We can plant seeds of hope. And if we need to talk with others, if others have questions, then God can grant us the strength to please Him by showing them the way to salvation. That's the first thing. And the second is we must live a life that satisfies God. And I think obedience was said earlier. That falls right in line with this one. Satisfying God. And that's not hard to do. We often want to think about satisfying God being something that is difficult or something that's impossible for us. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. That's a place that none of us want to be in. 
We don't want to be separated from God. So if we're going to please God, we have to live a life that satisfies Him, which means we have to be in fellowship with Him. And in order for that to happen, we have to look at our own lives and have God look at our own lives. But here is Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's something we need to understand and we need to be very aware of. There are there is sin in, in everybody's life. No one is different from it. No one is excluded from it. But understand this, there is a sin that we know about, a sin that we're aware of, and there is a sin that we're not aware of. There are sins of ignorance in our lives. We, those that we know about, we want to avoid and stay away from. We have the ability to say no. We have the ability to say we don't want to be a part of that. We have the ability to separate ourselves from it. But those that we are ignorant of are those that will separate us from God and we may be wondering why. So it's important for us to please God that we humble ourselves daily and come to Him in prayer and say, God, if there's anything in life that I've done anything that separates us, anything that puts a barrier between us, forgive me of it. We want miracles in our lives. We want to see those miracles happen in life. We need to be pleasing to God. And that's not in doing a set of rules, checking this off, one, two, three, four, down the line. It is loving God enough to come to Him and say, God, if I've done anything, forgive me. Forgive me. I want to be pleasing to you. I don't want anything to separate my fellowship. Because God loves us and God wants us to be in fellowship with Him. He wants to move in our life. Next, for a miracle to take place, we have to answer the question, is there a need in God's eyes? Matthew chapter 6 verse 8 Be ye not therefore like unto them for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. That's Jesus talking to his disciples before he instructs them on the Lord's prayer. When the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray this is part of Jesus' response. Jesus knows what we need before we ask. So is there a need? There was a need for the wine that we just read about. The wine was a symbol of joy in that passage. To be out of wine was a disgrace. So God works miracles and then there is a need when there was a need to work, not just to please the whims of the people, but to show the authority and the power of God in those matters. The authority and the power of God. When we think about need, we will often think about physical need. Or we will think about financial need. Or we will think about other types of need that are familiar to us. But what about the need of having the presence of God? What about that need? What about the need of having love. What about the need of being loved? 
What about the need of just being in the presence of God or His people? When we think about need, we have to think about how God sees need. When we're asking for a miracle and we're asking for God to intervene in our lives, we need to try to look at it from God's perspective. And there isn't any prayer request that I heard this morning that God wouldn't want to intervene in. There isn't one prayer request I heard this morning that God wouldn't want to grant a miracle in that need and in that time and in that situation. So when we're looking at miracles and when we're looking at things that are going on, we need to consider the need that God sees. We may see a physical need of hunger or finances or housing or something of that nature and we may be able to meet that need and God meet that need through us for others. But yet God sees much more of a need looking down from heaven. And that that much more of a need then is met by Him. What does God see that they need in their lives? We want that revealed to us. We should be asking Him for it. We should be asking Him to reveal that need in our lives so we would know how to intervene on His behalf. So we would know how to be the vessels that he would use to work through. Next, we need to ask, is there prayer taking place? Well, we know in the situation this morning with the request, yes, there's prayer taking place. Mary was asking the right person for the right thing. We need to learn from that. We need to learn that when we're praying, that we're not just laying out a list of requests to the Lord, but we're seeking Him because we genuinely believe in Him. Because we genuinely believe believe that He can and He will grant these requests according to what He sees. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He told the prophet, just call out to me and I will show you things that you don't even know about. Now I mentioned earlier about asking for and seeking things to see the way God sees them. Here he tells Jeremiah that very same thing. He tells Jeremiah that If he'll just call out to him, he will show him things that he doesn't even know. And I believe that's true in the life of the Christian today. I believe it's true in our lives. If we will call out to him and we will reach up to him, I believe he will start working in our lives and I believe that work will show us things that we didn't even know existed. Things that we didn't even know about. Things that had been hidden from us. And God says, these are things that I am working out right now. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth whatsoever we ask, we know that he, that we have the petitions that we desired of him. John says he has confidence. Confidence. Confidence in the Lord. When we pray, and we're praying for him to move in our life or in a situation, what kind of confidence do we have? And yes, we may have to wait on him. But he may do that to help us as well as move in the life of the requests that we've made. He may do that to help us build our confidence, to help make it greater, so that the things that are down the road ahead of us, we will have the faith to move on. Because you see, the things that you're faced with today, they're not the end. They are one step in a ladder or one step in a set of stairs that's going to take you to the next challenge that's going to be in your life. And what God is preparing you for today is going to help you better down the road in the future. It's going to help you be strong enough and have the confidence in Him to lean on Him even more. Because you remember what He's already done in your life. You remember that back there when things were tough, God moved. And because He moved there, you've got confidence that He's going to move here. <coughs> we look at our tribulations in life and we wonder, why? What's the purpose of them? Why is it happening to me? What's going on? That's what's going on. Pay with patience comes tribulation. That's in Paul's writings. We pray for patience without understanding and realizing that we're asking for tribulation in order to build that patience. But with that patience comes confidence. The confidence that John spoke of in First John chapter 5. Oh, and he had confidence. Because by the time John wrote First John, and first, second, and third John, he was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So what does that mean? That means that John had already been, see, he had already lived with Christ. He had already been Christ, one of Christ's closest companions. He saw Christ crucified. He saw Christ resurrected. He saw Christ ascended to heaven. He watched Nero and all of the governments collapse and come down around the Christians. And he watched the persecutions and the beating and the bloodshed. He watched all of that take place. John had already been exiled to the Isle of Patmos after he was boiled in oil. Now we think about tribulation and persecution. Think about John being alive and being thrown into a pot of boiling oil and then pulled out. And then he was taken to the Isle of Patmos in the heat of the Mediterranean Ocean. And the Isle of Patmos is really nothing more than one big rock that's sitting out in the middle of the ocean. 
And they dropped him off there to die. Because they put him there so that infection would settle in. Now you've got somebody there that's got third degree burns all over their body. And they throw them out on the seashore so that the salt mist can get in it. So that the sand and the grit can get in it. So that the infections can set up. And he can die slowly of those infections. But God showed up on that aisle and gave him the vision of the book of Revelation that John remembered. And then when John was rescued from that island and brought back to shore, he wrote down everything that he saw in those visions on that island and he, that was our book of Revelation. Then John became the pastor of the church of Ephesus, and that's where he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and his gospel that we now have in our Bible. And John lived to be almost 100 years old and died of natural causes, the only apostle not to be executed by persecution. That's the power of the Lord. And when John says confidence, he's speaking from experience. He went through, lived through all of that, and instead of him giving up on the Lord and walking away, he got closer and closer and closer and closer, and he kept saying, Lord, you brought me through this, so I know you're going to bring me through what's in front of me now. And it comes with prayer. With prayer. Of knowing, of knowing what our Lord is capable of doing. Well, is prayer taking place? That's a question we need to answer for ourselves. And then the next question, is there faith? And is that faith on display? Mary showed her faith by looking at the servants and saying, whatever he asks, you do. Mary didn't know what Jesus was going to request. Whatever. She had no idea. But she knew that whatever it was, it was going to be right. When we pray, when we seek God, in our lives or in the lives of our loved ones or our family we need to approach him that way whatever you need to do whatever God you know what's going on in the situation whatever you need to do now that's tough that's tough. Because when we actually get to the point and we do that with God and we hand it over to Him and we say, God, whatever, we have no choice then but to step back and to observe. To be vessels that He could work through, yes. Because when we step back and say, whatever, Mary told the servants to do whatever He asked. But Jesus could have just as well asked her to have done something in that mix as well. 
What's going to happen if God asks us to be the vessel that he works through? Are we going to be willing to do that? What's going to happen if God asks us to just stand back and keep our hands off of it and wait and watch? Often that requires more faith than anything else we can think of. Because to step back, to give God something and to say whatever and you take it and you do it and then to take it and step back and take hands off. And often when I'm, when I'm preaching in a church and, and I'm bringing this out to a congregation, I'll say it like this. When you bring something to the altar and you give it to God, to you leave it at the altar, don't pick it up and take it back with you. When you bring it to that altar and you leave it there with God, you're saying, God, here it is, do whatever. You can't take it back. And often we find ourselves guilty, and I've done it too. I found myself guilty of picking it up and taking it back. And I have to turn around and I have to repent of it and give it back to God and stay hands off. I've had to do that with children. Um, we say you worry well not just worrying about it but you pick it up and you want to you want to take it and you want to start doing something to make it right fix it yourself yes it is very hard it is it is it's very hard it's very hard I've had to do that with children I've had to give it several yes. times, but I give it and then take it back. Yes, I've been there. I've been right there with you. I've done it. Yes, I've done that with children. I've turned them over and give them over to God. And then as a daddy, I want to fix it and make it right. And I want to take care of the boo-boos of life. So then I come in and I want to grab them and get back involved. And God says, wait a minute, I thought you gave this to me. And I have to take them back. And I have to give them back to God. And I have to do it in faith. But I can tell you from experience by doing that, God is faithful to not only meet the needs in the lives of everyone concerned, but He's faithful to give you the confidence and the faith of knowing that He is there to take care of even the most difficult problem, the, the closest connection, the closest person that you have in life. God is there to do it. And sometimes he takes he takes his time because he's not only working on that situation, but he's working on you. He's working on you. But but yes, it goes in all of those things. But it's all about us and we're giving something to God and then because of our closeness to it, our love, our affection, we want to go pick it back up and we want to take care of it and we want to, if it's a person, we want to take care of the problems and the boo-boos and we want to fix them. 
instead of leaving it with God after we give it to Him. Is that faith on display? Matthew 11, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says, For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and you shall have them. Now that's a pretty big order. To And I'm going to use some of the mountains around here. If we look at Mount Mitchell, the tallest mountain east of the Mississippi River, we look at Mount Mitchell and we say, Mount Mitchell, I want you to be moved. Jesus says if we have faith and we're asking for the right reasons, it will be moved. But now let's stop and think about that. When we ask, even we're asking Jesus to move Mount Mitchell, in our heart, do we really believe it's possible for Mount Mitchell to be moved? So then we're not fulfilling what Jesus has said there. He says, if you will say it and believe it, it will be done. And if we're all honest, and I'm not asking for uh, anything coming out, I'm just saying if we're honest with ourselves, how many things are we asking God to do that we really don't believe are going to happen? Hmm? I've found myself in that very spot more than once. That I've asked God to do something that I really didn't believe was going to happen. That is a picture of the depth of faith. The depth of God being able to work in our lives and in the lives of our needs and do the miracles that we're asking Him to do. When Jesus done the miracles here, when he changed water into wine, he didn't go by and take a poll of who believes he could do it. He just done it. And then it went forth. But Mary and those that were with him, his disciples, they believed. Mary believed from the very instant that's why she asked him and turned it all over to him and said, Jesus, Jesus, come do something. She had faith in him that he would give them wine. And she didn't know how he would do it. She didn't really care how he would do it. She just had faith in him that he would do it. 
her faith in him translated to that of his disciples who had been invited to. They didn't step in and get in the way. They stayed back too and they said, we want to see how Jesus is going to handle this. We know he's going to, but we want to see how. And from there, that faith, that faith led him on. Well, not only is there faith to be on display, is there obedience that's being exercised. In verses 5 and 10, 5 through 10, Jesus worked the miracle as the servants obeyed his instructions. Some miracles God will work without any help from others. Other times, he will call on us to fulfill his will. As we obey his leading, he will work. When you're asking God to move in your life or in the life of someone else, and you're asking God for a miracle, when you're asking God to make that happen, are you prepared to take whatever role God needs you to take. Are you prepared to be the one that steps back into the shadows and just waits and watches? And if he asks and prepares you and puts you in the spot, are you prepared to be the one to stand up and get your hands dirty moving the barrels back and forth and filling them with water? That's an illustration into... You know, God may ask us to get our hands dirty with something to fulfill to fulfill it. He may ask us to be the ones to, to be to get in and mixed up in it so he can work through us to fulfill it. Are we prepared for that? Are we prepared to be obedient to God? And what he does. And how he does it. Be the vessels that he works through. Or to just stand back. And watch him work. Both both require a lot of patience. And remember with patience. Patience comes by tribulation. So there's a lot of tribulation involved in both of them. Which means that there's a lot of things going on in our lives that we're learning from. But what happens with that? John says we gain confidence. So whether we're standing back trying to be patient and watch God move or whether we're standing to be right in the middle of everything watching God work and being a part of it, we're going to be dealing with things that are going to try our faith but they're going to build our confidence in Him as well. And that's something that deals directly with our walk with God. How closely we're walking with Him. How true we are to being that child of God. It's something really big. And lastly, In verse 11, is God glorified? 
is God glorified. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifest forth his glory, his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Jesus used this to reveal the glory of God through him to all those that watched. In the end, when we ask God to move in our life and when we ask God to grant a miracle in our life, are we willing to let God have all the glory for it? Are we willing to follow Him and to believe? Because it says His disciples believed. They believed and when they're saying that, they're not just saying that I understand what he's saying and I agree with him. They're saying, no, I've seen him move. I've seen what's happened. I've seen what goes on when the Lord Jesus Christ moves on a situation. And I believe. I believe. That's where God wants each one of us this morning. He wants us being in that last little part of verse 11 and his disciples believed on him. And that's where God wants us today. So when we talk about miracles, when we talk about when miracles happen, it's not just watching something really, really amazing on television. It's not watching something that's made up by people. It really comes down to our walk with God and our relationship with Him and what we really believe. So is God pleased with me? In other words, is there something I need to get right in my life before I start talking to Him? Is there a need in God's eyes? What does God see in this? Is there prayer that's really taking place? Is there faith that's being put on display? Is there obedience that's being exercised? And is God himself being glorified? When we look at any miracle that takes place in God's Word, all of those questions are answered yes. All of them are answered yes. And we see them when we study that miracle. When we read, when we study, whether it is Elijah and the widow and the barrel of meal and oil that never went, that never found bottom. Whether it is Elijah calling down fire from heaven for Baal. Regardless of what it may be or may not be, what miracle we're talking about, whether it is the raising of the dead or the casting out of demons, all of those six things are met. Are they being met in our lives today? God wants to move. He wants to move. God's asking us 
to listen to him as he tries to give what we ask of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity you've given this morning. Thank you for the patience of those that have listened. Thank you for their input and thank you for the questions and thank you for everything that they've brought out. Lord, I pray that we would all find direction from these words. And Lord, I pray that me as your your messenger would find them deeply enough to be an example for others to follow. Lord, I pray that all the requests that are given from these wonderful ladies here this mission, I pray that you would meet those needs from heaven in every way and shape that you possibly can. And I pray that it would draw these ladies closer to you and their walk with you and you would receive all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.